Chapter 3 How to Be Captivating What comes to mind when you think of a captivating conversationalist? More often than not, I would bet that you would think of someone who is great at storytelling. It seems that only with storytelling can we mesmerize and charm others into hanging on to our every word. Whether or not that is true is not the aim of this chapter. No one can deny that storytelling is an important element of memorable conversations and conversations you want to have. The question is always how to capture this elusive skill and make it your own. Therefore, in this chapter, I want to present a few perspectives on how you can use storytelling in your everyday conversations. It's productive to first take the mystique away from the whole concept of storytelling. What is storytelling? It's just relating something that happened in a way that isn't boring and that makes you the center of attention for a bit. That's all. With that in mind, let's see how we can get better at storytelling. Life is a series of stories. No, seriously. We don't think of our lives as being very interesting on a day-to-day -day basis, but we do quite a bit more than we realize. This proposition combined with the fact that nothing stops a conversation cold quite like a one-word answer means that you should strive to make your life a series of many stories. Keep in mind that we're taking the mystique out of stories and you'll find that it's easy to create many stories about every day of your life. What is the definition of a mini story in this context? So, what do you do? I'm a marketing executive. Oh, cool. Well, I'm going to go find the bathroom now. Let's try again. So, what do you do? I'm a marketing executive. I deal mostly with clients. Just last week, we had a crazy client that threatened to send his bodyguards to our office. I definitely wish I dealt more with the creative side. Oh my god, did he actually send them? That's a mini story. It's answering questions briefly using the elements of a story. an action that occurs to a subject with some sort of conclusion as you can see above a brief mini story will create exponentially more conversation and interest than any answer to the question what do you do all you needed was 3 sentences and this is all you need to make yourself an exponentially more captivating conversationalist when people make small talk with you and ask your small talk questions They probably aren't interested in your one-word answers or boring recaps of boring weekends. They want to hear something interesting, so give it to them. Not only that, stories are an inside view to the way you think and feel. Learning those about you is the first step in allowing anyone to relate and feel connected to you. So it's imperative that you learn how to take a closed-ended question and expand it to your advantage. It will also encourage them to reciprocate and suddenly trading war stories from college parties is on the table. When you break down what a mini story actually needs, they become much simpler. What's great about mini stories is you can also create these before a conversation so you can have compelling anecdotes at hand in response to very common and widespread questions. The main benefit to creating mini stories ahead of time is to be able to avoid one-word answers that you may be accustomed to using. I would implore you to queue up similar mini stories of roughly 3 sentences in length 
for some of the most common conversation topics that will arise, such as 1. Your occupation. If you have a job that is unusual or nebulous, make sure that you have a layman's description of your job that people can relate to. 2. Your week. 3. Your upcoming weekend. 4. Your hometown. 5. Your hobbies. And so on. When you are using a mini-story to answer a question, make sure to first acknowledge the question that was asked. But then, realizing that you have something far more interesting to say, you can jump into the mini-story, which should be able to stand by itself. How was your weekend? It was fine. I watched four Star Wars movies. Okay, I'm going to go talk to someone else now. Let's try again. How was your weekend? It was fine, but did I tell you about what happened last weekend? A dog wearing a tuxedo walked into my office. Wait, tell me more. Using mini-stories allows you to avoid the tired back-and-forth of Good, how about you? You'll find in everyday small talk. That's the first step to being captivating. Mini-stories also underscore the importance of providing more details, as mentioned in an earlier chapter, and avoiding one-word answers. Details provide a three-dimensional description of you and your life. That automatically makes people more interested and invested because they are already painting a mental picture in their minds and visualizing everything. Details also give people more to connect to, think about, and attach themselves to. With more details, there is a substantially higher likelihood that people will find something funny, interesting, and common, poignant, curious, and worthy of comment. Detail and specificity put people into a specific place and time. It allows them to imagine exactly what's happening and start caring about it. Think about why it's so easy to get sucked into a movie. We experience enormous sensory stimulation and almost can't escape all of the visual and auditory detail, which is designed to make us invested. Detailed stories and conversations are inviting others to share a mental movie with you. Beyond giving flavor to your conversation and storytelling, and giving the other person something to ask about, details are important because they are what make people emotionally engaged. Details remind people of their own lives and memories and make them feel more drawn to whatever is presenting them. Details can compel others to laugh, feel mad, feel sad, or feel surprised. They can control moods and emotions. If you include details about specific songs that played during your high school dances, it's likely that someone will have memories attached to those songs and become more emotionally interested in your story. There is no such thing as TMI, too much information. Share details about all the figurative nooks and crannies, because that's what makes you interesting on an emotional level. The one-to-one-to-one -one -one method. On the theme of simplifying storytelling, we've been talking about how we can use a mini-story in many ways. You may be wondering what the difference is between a mini-story and a full-fledged story. To me, not much. As I mentioned, many people like to complicate storytelling as if they were composing an impromptu Greek tragedy. Does there have to be an introduction, middle, struggle, then resolution? 
You may have read that great stories are about X, Y, and Z, that you need a beginning, middle, and ending, that you should use as much descriptive detail as possible, or how important pauses are. That's one way of doing it, but certainly not the easiest or most practical. My method of storytelling in conversation is to prioritize the discussion afterward, similar to what you saw with the fallback stories in an earlier chapter. This means that the story itself doesn't need to be that in depth or long. It can and should contain specific details that people can relate to and latch onto, but it doesn't need to have parts or stages. It can be many by nature. That's why it's called the one to one to one method. It stands for a story that one has an action, two can be summed up in one sentence, and three evokes one primary emotion in the listener. You can see why they're short and snappy. They also tend to make sure that you know your point before starting and have a very low chance of verbally wandering for minutes and alienating your listeners. For a story to consist of a one action, means only one thing is happening. The story is about one occurrence. It should be direct and straightforward. Anything else just confuses the point and makes you liable to ramble. A story should be able to be summed up in one sentence because otherwise you are trying to convey too much. This step actually takes practice because you are forced to think about which aspects matter and which don't add anything to your action. It's a skill to be able to distill your thoughts into one sentence and still be thorough. Often you won't realize what you want to say unless you can do this. Finally, a story should focus on one primary emotion to be evoked in the listener, and you should be able to name it. Keep in mind that evoking an emotion ensures that your story actually has a point, and it will color what details you carefully choose to emphasize that emotion. For our purposes here, there really aren't that many emotions you might want to evoke in others from a story. You might have humor, shock, awe, envy, happiness, anger, or annoyance. Those are the majority of reasons we relate our experiences to others. Keep in mind, it's just my method for conveying my experiences to others. Whether people hear two sentences about a dog attack or they hear ten sentences doesn't change the impact of the story. The reason I abbreviate stories is so the conversation can move forward, and we can then focus on the listener's impact and reaction. So, what does this so-called story sound like? I was attacked by a dog, and I was so frightened I nearly wet my pants. It's one sentence. There is one action. And the bit about wetting the pants is to emphasize the fact that the emotion you want to convey is fear and shock. You could include more detail about the dog and the circumstances, but chances are people are going to ask about that immediately. So let them guide what they want to hear about your story. Invite them to participate. Very few people want to sit and listen to a monologue, most of which is told poorly and in a scattered manner. Therefore, keep the essentials, but cut your story short. And let the conversation continue as a shared experience, rather than you monopolizing the airspace. Make it a shared experience rather than all about you. The one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one method can be summed up as starting a story as close to the end as possible. Most stories end before they get to the end in terms of impact on the listener, their attention span, and the energy that you have to tell it. 
In other words, many stories tend to drone on because people try to adhere to these rules, or because they simply lose the plot and are trying to find it again through talking. Above all else, a long preamble is not necessary. What's important is that people pay attention, care, and will react in some, preferably, emotional manner. Ask for stories. Most of the focus with stories is usually on telling them. But what about soliciting them from others and allowing them to feel as good as you do when a story lands well? What about stepping aside and giving other people the spotlight? Well, it's just a matter of how you ask for them. When you watch sports, one of the most illogical parts is the post-game or post-match interview. These athletes are still caught in the throes of adrenaline, out of breath and occasionally drip sweat onto the reporters. Yet, when you are watching a broadcaster interview an athlete, does anything odd strike you about the questions they ask? The interviewers are put into an impossible situation and usually walk away with decent sound bites, at the very least not audio disasters. Their duty is to elicit a coherent answer from someone who is mentally incoherent at the moment. How do they do that? They'll ask questions like, So tell me about that moment in the second quarter. What did you feel about it and how did the coach turn it around then? As opposed to, How'd you guys win? Or, How did you turn this match around, come back and pull out all the stops to grab the victory at the very end? As opposed to, How was the comeback? The key, they ask for a story rather than an answer. They phrase their inquiry in a way that can only be answered with a story, in fact. Detail, context, and boundaries are given for the athletes to set them up to talk as much as possible instead of providing a breathless one-word answer. It's almost as if they provide the athletes with an outline of what they want to hear and how they can proceed. They make it easy for them to tell a story and simply engage. It's like if someone asks you a question, but in the question tells you exactly what they want to hear as hints. Sometimes we think we are doing the heavy lifting in a conversation, and the other party isn't giving us much to work with. But that's a massive cop-out. They might not be giving you much, but you also might be asking them the wrong questions, which is making them give you terrible responses. In fact, if you think you are shouldering the burden, you are definitely asking the wrong questions. Conversation can be much more pleasant for everyone involved if you provide fertile ground for people to work in. Don't set the other person up to fail and be a poor conversationalist. That will only make you invest and care less and cause the conversation to die out. When people ask me low-effort, vague questions, I know they probably aren't interested in the answer. They're just filling the time in silence. To create win-win conversations and better circumstances for all, ask for stories the way the sports broadcasters do. Ask questions in a way that makes people want to share. Stories are personal, emotional, and compelling. There is a thought process and narrative that necessarily exists. They are what show your personality and are how you can learn about someone. They show people's emotions and how they think. Last but not least, they show what you care about. Compare this with simply asking for closed-ended answers. Answers are often too boring and routine for people to care. 
They will still answer your questions, but in a very literal way, and the level of engagement won't be there. Peppering people with shallow questions puts people in a position to fail conversationally. It's the difference between asking, "What was the best part of your day so far?" "Tell me how you got that parking space so close," instead of just, "How are you?" When you ask somebody the second question, you're asking for a quick, uninvolved answer. You're being lazy and either don't care about their answer or want them to carry the conversational burden. When you ask somebody one of the first two questions, you're inviting them to tell a specific story about their day. You are inviting them to narrate the series of events that made their day great or not, and it can't really be answered with a one-word answer. Another example is, what is the most exciting part of your job? How does it feel to make a difference like that? Instead of simply asking them the generic, what do you do? When you only ask somebody what they do for a living, you know exactly how the rest of the conversation will go. Oh, I do X. What about you? A final example is, how did you feel about your weekend? What was the best part? It was so nice outside. Instead of just, how was your weekend? Prompting others for stories instead of simple answers gives them a chance to speak in such a way that they feel emotionally invested. This increases the sense of meaning they get from the conversation you're having with them. It also makes them feel you are genuinely interested in hearing their answer, because your question doesn't sound generic. Consider the following guidelines when asking a question: one, ask for a story; two, be broad but with specific directions or prompts; three, ask about feelings and emotions; four. Give the other person a direction to expand their answer into, and give them multiple prompts, hints, and possibilities. Five, if all else fails, directly ask, "Tell me the story about." Imagine that you want the other person to inform your curiosity. Other examples include the following: one, "Tell me about the time you," versus, "How was that?" Two. Did you like that? Versus, how was it? Three, you look focused. What happened in your morning? Versus, how are you? Let's think about what happens when you elicit and provide personal stories instead of the old, tired, automatic replies. You say hello to your coworker on Monday morning, and you ask how his weekend was. At this point, you have cataloged what you will say in case he asks you the same. Remember, they probably don't care about the actual answer, good or okay, but they would like to hear something interesting. But you never get the chance because you ask him, "How was your weekend? Tell me about the most interesting part." I know you didn't just watch a movie at home. He opens up and begins to tell you about his Saturday night when he separately. And involuntarily visited a strip joint, a funeral, and a child's birthday party. That's a conversation that can take off and get interesting, and you've successfully bypassed the unnecessary and boring small talk that plagues so many of us. Most people love talking about themselves. Use this fact to your advantage. Once someone takes your cue and starts sharing a story, 
make sure you are aware of how you're responding to that person through your facial expressions, gestures, body language, and other nonverbal signals. Since there is always at least one exciting thing in any story, focus on that exciting point and don't be afraid to show that you're engaged. One quick tip to show that you're engaged and even willing to add is something I call pinning the tail on the donkey. There was probably a better name for it, but my vocabulary was severely lacking at the time. The donkey is the story from someone else, while the tail is your addition to it. It allows you to feel like you're contributing. It makes other people know you're listening, and it turns into something you've created together. People will actually love you for it because when you do this, your mindset becomes focused on assisting people's stories and letting them have the floor. Bob's story. I went to the bank and tripped and spilled all my cash, making it rain inadvertently. Tail. Did you think you were Scrooge McDuck for a second? When you make a tale, try to hone in on the primary emotion the story was conveying, and then add a comment that amplifies it. The story was about how Bob felt rich, and Scrooge McDuck is a duck who swims in pools of gold doubloons, so it adds to the story and doesn't steal Bob's thunder. Get into the habit of assisting other people's stories. It's easy, witty, and extremely likable because you are helping them out. Use stories to create inside jokes. In any conversation, there is a high point. There might be multiple memorable points, but by default, one part is the best and highest. This can take many different forms. You can share a big laugh. You can both get emotional and cry. You share a strong perspective on an issue that no one else does. You witness something either horrifying or hilarious together. You both struggle to not laugh when you observe something. You finish each other's sentences. Most of the time, if you do it correctly, your stories become high points because of the emotional impact and pure intrigue you can use them to create. This makes it easy because you are planting the seed for you to harvest later. Coincidentally, calling back to this high point later is what a deconstructed inside joke looks like. Therefore, to easily create an inside joke, all you have to do is refer to the high point later in the conversation. Take note of it and put it in your pocket for use in the near future. Don't let it go old like month-old milk that you're afraid to throw away because of the smell. Assuming that you told a good story or elicited a good story earlier in the conversation, all you need to do is refer to it in the context of your current topic. For example, you told a story about your favorite kind of dog earlier in the conversation. There was a high point about comparing yourself to a wiener dog because your shape makes it unavoidable. Now your current top of conversation is style and different types of jackets. How do you call back to the wiener dog high point from earlier by referring to it in the context of jackets? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't wear that type of jacket because I'm mostly similar to the wiener dog, remember? Bring up the topic, hopefully the topic of your story, and then use it in the current topic. Here's another example. Prior high point, a story about hating parking lots. Current topic of conversation, the weather. Callback. Yeah, the rain will definitely be welcome when we can't find parking spots within 10 blocks of our apartment. 
In the same way, an orchestra conductor can hit the same high musical motif through different arrangements and songs. You can keep referring to this conversation high point. Voila, you've just created an inside joke from thin air. Takeaways: Captivating people usually refers to telling a story that leaves them listening like children. But there are many ways of creating this feeling in small, everyday ways. Storytelling is a big topic that is often made overly complex. An easy way to imagine everyday storytelling is that your life is a series of stories. Instead of giving one-word answers, get into the habit of framing your answers as a story with a point. It creates more engagement, lets you show your personality, and creates smoother conversation. The bonus here is that you can prepare these before a conversation. The one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one method of storytelling is to simplify it as much as possible. The impact of a story won't necessarily be stronger if it is ten sentences versus two sentences. Therefore, the one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one method focuses on the discussion and reaction that occurs after a story. A story can be composed solely of one, one action, two, one emotion to be evoked, and three, a one-sentence summary. Telling stories is important. But what about eliciting them from others? You can phrase your questions carefully to ask for stories rather than answers from people, which is a simple way to make conversation easier and more enjoyable for everyone involved. Stories can also be the basis for an inside joke. When you think about it, an inside joke is something that comes up multiple times with the same person and evokes a positive emotion. Thus, you just need to call back to a story through a conversation and there's a good chance it will stick as a remember when we talked about moment.